Good morning, uh, everyone. It's a joy, a privilege to be able to share God's Word with everyone this morning. As you can see around you, uh, there's a couple of decorations all the way back. There's a big old Christmas tree uh, right there, which means uh, we're adding into the end of the year, into our Advent season, which also means today marks the final part of our Second Samuel series. We reached chapter 24, and that's the final chapter for this series. Uh, so we're going to be looking at that today. Uh, together. Uh, but before we do that, allow me to pray as we prepare our hearts to receive and listen to God's word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we are able to gather today as your people. Uh, Lord, prepare our hearts uh, as we listen to your word, as we uh, listen not only for our heads, but for our hearts and our hands as we seek to love you and as we seek to obey you in our lives. Help me to preach. Uh, clearly, faithfully to your word, so that your people may be edified and that your gospel may be proclaimed to all. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're at the end of the year. And one of the things that we like to do, I think, as we enter the end of the year is to look back into the past, to think back, to really recap of what just happened, maybe 2023, the good, the bad, uh, the ugly, whatever it may be. And perhaps not only do we like to look back to the past, but we think about the future as well. We look forward and to be excited about what is to come. And today, as we come into the final chapter of 2 Samuel, the author of 2 Samuel does exactly that. Uh, he is reminding us of the past and giving us as well a sneak peek of what is to come. You see, in the last part of our chapter today, in chapter 24, the author reminds us of the past of David and how David is not the perfect king. But more importantly than that, uh, the, David, uh, the author rather looks back in the past and reminds us of God's wrath. God's anger upon sin, exercising his wrath upon his imperfect king David and as well his imperfect people of Israel. So he does that, he looks to the past, but the author also looks to the future. And the author helps us to look forward to King Solomon, to 1 and 2 Kings, the next, two, the next book rather, and how the story of God continues to unfold. So if you have an order of service, you can scan it on your pews, but feel free to look at that. A church Bible is in the way to the entrance, and you can look at the screen in front of you as well as we follow along to look at 2 Samuel 24. All right? So right off the bat in verse 1, it says, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So we see God being angry at Israel. Now, what is the reason God was angry at Israel? Well, we are not told. Uh, the author doesn't give us the detail. We can speculate. It could be this. It could be that. But, uh, but I think we can trust that God is always faithful and God is always just. We don't have to speculate necessarily why God was angry at Israel. Well, frankly speaking, Israel has not had a good track record of honouring God. Um, but let me remind everyone in Psalms 145 verse 17, uh, it says that the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Now, although we are not told why God was angry, but the scripture reveals to us that God is just. And by nature, by who God is, by God's perfection, he must be just. He won't have a random reason to be angry at Israel. So God was angry at Israel. Now what did he do? Now the passage tells us that the Lord incited David against them. 
Now, what does incited mean? Now, another word for incited could be to urge, to persuade strongly, or even to tempt or tempted to. But that means we are posed with a very difficult question, which is this. How can a good and holy and perfect God tempt or incite David or incite someone? When we look at verses in the New Testament, such as James verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And God, he himself, tempts no one. So what's going on in this passage? Well, I think the issue at hand here that we have to focus and look into is David's pride and David's disobedience. That is the main issue at end here. You see, David, the Lord incited David to take the number of Israel and Judah. Now, what, what does taking a number mean? The Bible has a technical term for it. It's called taking a census, right? So what is wrong with taking a census or taking a number of Israel, you may ask? Well, first of all, let's understand what is a census, right? Look at, we need to Numbers chapter 26, verse 1 to 2. Right, in verse 2 it says, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel from 20 years old and upwards by their father's house, all in Israel, and look at this, who are able to go to war. Which means taking a census is taking count of your military army among your people. And guess what? That in of itself is nothing wrong with that. But what's the issue here? What's wrong with taking a census of your military might? Well, if you look at verse 1 of that same passage in Numbers 26, who is the one who called for the census? It was the Lord. The Lord commanded for a census to be taken. Right? And to better understand this, we go to another passage in Exodus chapter 30, verse 11 to 12. We can have a better understanding of what the Lord requires whenever a census is taken. You see, in Exodus 30, it tells us that there must be a ransom given for each person, for each person's census that was taken, so that there may be no plague. And guess what? There was a plague, spoiler alert, in 2 Samuel 24, when you number them. You see, the issue here was that it wasn't the census necessarily, but it was David's pride as he took the census without God's command, he did not follow God's instructions. He did not give a ransom when taking this census. And perhaps in David's pride, he wanted to flex his muscles. He wanted to show, oh, this is my military might. This is the people that will go to war. And remember last week, if you've been following our series, in chapter 23, it was a whole passage about the mighty man and what they have done. Perhaps the author places chapter 24, after 23, just to tell us that victory of battles does not preside in the might of the, of the mighty man, it does not preside in the might of David, but it resides in God himself. He is the one who gives victory to his people. Even Joab, right, this questionable character we've been seeing the entire Second Samuel, he tells David this in verse 3, he says, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as they are, while the eyes of my Lord or the King still see it. But why does my Lord the King delight in this thing? 
Essentially, Joab is saying, hey, David, trust in God. Lah. Trust in God. Well, God will provide the people for you. Why do you insist on taking this census? Well, despite Joab's disagreement, David was still stubborn. He was insistent. He wanted to take the census. And the census was carried out. Uh, you can look at the details of the census from verse 5 all the way to verse 9. Verse 5 to 7 talks about the places. He went from here to here to here to collect the census. Verses 8, it took 9 months and 20 days to fully count the people. And verse 9, it calculates 800,000 men for the people of Israel who are able to go to war. 500,000 men for Judah. So you see, David always, deep down in his heart, he always wanted to take this census. So God is simply giving him over, giving David over to his pride to commit the sins he himself wanted to commit. Now we pause here just to reflect on ourselves for a moment. Even for us, we are prideful, just like David. We do a lot of things in our lives without seeking God and seeking his will. And although the Bible has revealed God's heart and will for us, all of us here today, we still insist on doing things our own way and according to our methods. Maybe because we think we are better than we actually are. Right? In David's case, he had such a high view and pride towards his military might. Maybe for some of us here today, maybe we take pride in our ability. Maybe we take pride in our profession. Maybe we take pride in our money, in our assets that we have. If you're a student here today, maybe you take pride in your intellect, your ability to get good grades. Right? This is my doing, my ability, my power. Um, but may I suggest to you, in the kindest way possible, you're not as good as you think you are. We are not as good as we think we are. Church, may we be reminded that the very breath that you breathe comes from the Lord. The fact that we could have woke up this morning, drove to church, sit, be seated here, is because of God. That your gifts, your talents, your strengths, your successes, everything in life are impossible apart from God allowing it. Because the moment we think, church, let me, let me remind us, because the moment we think that all our successes is attributed to our might, my strength, me, myself, and I, is the moment that we are saying, God, ah, I don't need you. I don't need you to do this, God. I am better than you. So may I urge us this morning to examine our hearts if there's pride in us. And I pray, and may you pray, the Holy Spirit, to convict your hearts concerning this pride that your might and your power, your successes are only possible because of God. To not take any credit for ourselves, but to give glory unto the Lord. So let's do that. One of the things I hope we do this morning. Well, thankfully, David, as we move on, thankfully, David, he realized that he had a reconsidering moment and verse 10 tells us that after taking this census, David's heart struck him. His conscience struck him. And David realized that what he has done is wrong. In verse 10, he said, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant for I have done very foolishly. 
So what was God's response to David being sorry for David repenting? Well, God sent the prophet God, David's seer, to speak to him. And the prophet gave David three options. If you look at verse 12 and 13, the three options are either three years of famine, which means three years of no food, three months of running away from his enemies, like how he ran away from Saul and Absalom, and th or three days of pestilence. Now, the differences in these three options can be clearly seen in the severity of the punishment. It's more heavy, the, the shorter the length it goes. So the pestilence, the third option, being the heaviest punishment, but the shortest in length. And why is the pestilence the heaviest punishment, you may ask? Well, in the passage, the whole of 2 Samuel 24, it actually gives us some clue of why the pestilence was so bad. Uh, in verse 25, God averted the plague, which means there, were, there is a plague associated to this pestilence, involves a lot of death. Uh, in verse 16, there was an angel of destruction that was about to lay down, uh, destroy Jerusalem. So that's part of the pestilence. And of course, in verse 15, it describes to us from Dan to Bathsheba, 70,000 people died. And I think David chose that. He chose this final option. And we see why in verse 14 of the passage. For David says, It is better to fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of men. You see, David knew who his God was. He trusted in God's character to show mercy to him. And God did show mercy to him, right? As the angel of destruction was about to wipe out all of Jerusalem, the Lord relented from the calamity and stopped the destruction. Now, while all this destruction was happening, we changed scene for a while. And we see David, he pleaded for God's mercy. And we see David's heart here, a really sincere heart, crying out to God in verse 17. Right? David says, Behold, I have sinned, I have done wickedly. Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Now, well, on one hand, this is a very noble and bold sta and right statement. On one hand, David was responsible as he disobeyed God by taking the census. So David was right, there is guilt on his hands. But church, we have to remember all the way back in verse 1, we have to remember that the Lord was angry against Israel. Right? So not only David's sin, but Israel's sin. So Lord, the Lord has every right to be angry and wrathful against any evil or against any sin, which means not only David's sin, which means not only Israel's sin, but it means for us, for all of humanity, he has the right to be wrathful and angry against all of us. Friends, Romans says, all have fallen short, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 1, chapter 18, verse 19 makes it clear to us, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Which means for us, friends, there is no excuse. We all have no excuse. We are all tainted with sin. That the passage says, although we can know God, we choose to ignore this God. 
And as I touched on pride just now in my first section, basically not knowing, despite God revealing himself and we choosing to ignore God, this is called spiritual pride. This ignoring of God. And because humanity in general have ignored God, God has every right to be wrathful and angry against humanity for our sinfulness. And that is the wrath of God. So church, may we heed this warning. May we take seriously the warning of God's wrath for all sin. Now of course, we see the Lord's mercy in the upcoming verses. We see God being very gracious at the end. And some of us here, you've already experienced God's mercy. Maybe some of us like David, you know who God is. You know that he's merciful and you know it's better to fall into the hands of God. But for some of us here today, you have not experienced or know this God and this God of mercy. So may you take heed seriously this warning of God's wrath against sin. Right? May you take into consideration your life and your standing before God. And if you have experienced this mercy, it's still important, I think, to just grasp and to be thankful and to remind ourselves of God's wrath against sin because there will come a day when God's mercy will be no more to those who continue to rebel against Him. So may we heed this warning. As we come to our final section, after David's cry, you know, to spare his people and cry for mercy, uh, the prophet God appears once again. And he's going to tell David exactly what the Lord requires of him. So he tells David in verse 18, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranal, the Jebusite. Well, let me explain a few things here. Firstly, the threshing floor. Why is that? So you see, a threshing floor is a place where grains are cracked open and the wind will separate the grain from the husk. It could be done either through a hawk, an ox stamping it over or a threshing sledge, as we'll see later, to separate the, 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 the grain from the husk. And the Jebusites, who are these Jebusites? They are former inhabitants of Jerusalem. And Aranal probably was just a survivor during the conquest of David against Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 5. You can take a look at that. But point is, David is to build an altar in this place in order that the plague may be averted from the people. Now, I want you to notice some of the things that the author wants us to see and to see about David's intention and David's heart here. You see, the Jebusite was willing to offer the things required to build the altar. The oxen for the sacrifice, the apparatus, the the dressing sledge, and the wood for building the altar. Now maybe for some of us, especially, you know, 11.11 just passed, got a lot of good deals. Wow, so many free things. Take away. Uh, better, faster, take. These are all free things. You better take. And like, no buy one, free one. It's literally buy free one, free one. But David's response, if you look at the passage, David says no. And he says, I won't, no, I won't offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. It wasn't because David was paisir, I think. I'll explain later. 
So David buys it, David builds the altar there, and the plague was averted. Plague was averted. Now, I want us to see two important things in this final section of this trashing floor altar thingy. You see, firstly, about the altar. Uh, this tells us that this oxen, right, this oxen for sacrifice, it tells us that there must be bloodshed made for the propitiation of our sins, for the atonement for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. Right? That's what propitiation means. You see here, an oxen was offered to atone for the sins of Israel. Once the oxen was sacrificed, the judgment of God was relented. Now, pop quiz, where do we see that in the New Testament? Jesus, right? Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus was smitten by God. Jesus was crushed. Jesus was hanged on the cross. Right? In our epistle reading today, Hebrews 10, 12, it says that Christ is the sacrifice for sin once and for all. You see, friends, every time you read Leviticus or any kind of sacrificial offering you see in the Old Testament, it's not there for fun. It's meant to point us, it's a shadow that meant to point us to the reality which is Jesus. That all these Old Testament sacrifices points us to Jesus, his own perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of his people. So may I urge you, every Sunday when you come to church, or even every day for that matter in your life, we pause to be thankful time and time and time again about what Christ has done for us, for forgiving your sins, for dying for you on the cross. Right? So may, may I urge you to do that, to have that sincere heart, to remember the sacrifice of that Christ uh, and, and his death for us. So that's the first thing in this section. The last thing I want us to see is from David's perspective. I want us to see David's, well, I said David wasn't paisa to buy, I buy, I buy. No, but David was sincere in his heart of worship. Right? There's this term I would call lip service Christianity. Uh, where it simply means you gather on Sundays to perform a ritual, you perform a habit, but deep down as you do these things, deep down they have no meaning. And the prophets all across the Old Testament condemn this behavior, condemn this empty-hearted worship from Israel. Because you see, it's one thing if David just got the stuff for free and then built the altar, performed the ritual, and then, ciao, go back. Done, job done. But David knew that glorifying God, worship of God, requires a personal sacrifice. You see, in Romans 12.1 in the New Testament, it tells us that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. We offer our lives, every bit that we have, as a living sacrifice to God. And this lip service Christianity, this performing our rituals and habits, uh, it's not what God requires. And let's be very honest, we are very comfortable here in Malaysia. I mean, I, I really like the decorations. This cathedral is beautiful. We're in St. Mary's, we come here and worship God peacefully. We thank God for that. That's not a bad thing. But friends, there are Christians all around the world that do not experience the same thing as us here today. So may I urge all of us to just consider 
and not take for granted the gathering of the Lord's people on Sunday or even the worship of God every single day of our lives. May we count the costs right, and take this seriously and not just do Christian stuff for the sake of doing Christian stuff, but that when we do these things, it comes from a heart that wants to please God and worship Him. So may you consider that even as we continue the service and just think about it even as you go home. So in conclusion, as we wrap up, as we come to the end of the year, as we wrap up, or we've been through 1 and 2 Samuel for, pre, I think, three, three years or so now. Um, so what's next? Right? I just want to say we look back to the past. All those things are in the past. What do we look forward to then? Well, you see the floor, that the threshing floor rather, that David bought is the same place, or the threshing floor is located in Jerusalem, and that will be the same place that King Solomon will build the temple. Right? And the story will go on into the next king, King Solomon, and to all the kings in 1 and 2 Kings. And it ends, Second Kings ends with an exile. And we see how there's no perfect king. David was good, but there is no perfect king. Right? And it's, today is Christ the King Sunday. We're reminded that throughout this whole Second Samuel, even how great of a king David was, there is only one true and perfect king. And his name is Jesus. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he reigns on high. He'll make his enemies, he'll step on his enemies like a footstool. He'll make his enemies bow to him one day. And he will come back, church, to rule and reign forevermore. So let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we acknowledge who you are. God, you're a God not only of love, but you're a God of wrath and anger and holiness towards sin. And Lord, help us to take that very seriously. Now, for some of us here who have maybe been seated in church for a very long time, but have never come to a realization of your wrath towards their sin, Lord, may you gently convict them in their hearts and point them to your Son. Lord, we thank you for Jesus for being our saviour, for being that sacrifice. And we help us to be reminded every time we gather, every single day of our lives, to be thankful for the sacrifice that you made on the cross for us, Lord Jesus. So Lord, help us to examine our hearts if that's pride. Help us to examine our hearts that if we've been performing mere lip service as worship to you, and may we consider these things as we enter our week ahead. And Lord, we're thankful, finally we're thankful, Lord, for you, Lord Jesus, for being our King, for the one true perfect King that we submit to and we obey. So help us to do that, Lord, for the rest of our lives, as long as you give us to. And we pray all this in your Son's most precious name. Amen.